Well, you know, I was sitting out front and I was thinking, I was thinking about the age of the walls of this place and how they have taken in so many different sounds over the years. Before we ever entered this building, uh, there were a lot of sounds that these walls absorbed. If I could animate these or personalize uh, these uh, walls, I would say uh, they've never been so thankful as they would be this morning to hear the sounds of the music as it is being played. So I thank you, Ruth, very much. Wonderful. I want to remember a period of time with you this morning. I want to remember with you 1987. 1987. I was going to ask uh, who remembers 1987, and I was thinking, looking for Sherry, but Sherry has gone out. I know she would remember 1987. Some of you do not. Some of us do. 1987, very interesting summer. 35 years ago now. So on May the 30th, Jessica, you know what happened on May the 30th. May the 30th, Steve and Sherry were married. It was the warmest day, I think, on record. Wonderful, wonderful day. So that was on uh, May the 30th. Pat's mom and dad were with us at that time. Uh, Pat's dad was not able to attend the wedding, but of course her mother was. And shortly after that, uh, Pat drove her mom and dad out west to Campbell River, British Columbia. On June the 24th, which is less than a month, following Steve and Sherry's wedding. Pat's father passed away in BC, in Campbell River. Shortly after Pat left, her father entered the hospital there and passed away on the 24th of June, 1987. While Pat was away to attend the funeral, I had a lot of time by myself and I spent that time wisely. I spent that time seeking the Lord and each morning I would go in my car and I would go to a certain location and I would sit in my car. I found some of the most precious times with the Lord were in my car. So my car was a prayer closet. One of those mornings, which happened to be July the 18th, which would be tomorrow. July the 18th is tomorrow. So 35 years ago tomorrow, I was sitting in my car. I know exactly where I was and what I was doing and I had this marvelous visitation from the Lord. Some of those times, they, they stand out with you and you'll remember those times when you have them. I would say they are rare in, in one sense because they are so special. If every day was so special, then how would you understand a real special day? That was a very special day. That visitation went on throughout the entire day, including coming back here and spending some time in the front room area out here again on July the 18th. And my Bible, I didn't bring it with me this morning, the one I was using that day, and I have everything written out. First, I was taken to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number 9. And then, of course, I read the verses before and the verses following verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 28 deals with blessings and cursings. Then, and this was the first time this had ever happened to me, I was given a I was given chapter and verse, and I did not know what it was. I was given Luke chapter 9 and verse 13. And I had to look up, turn in my Bible to Luke chapter 9. I'd heard people talk about this happening, but that had never happened with me before and very seldom since. 
And so I turned to Luke chapter 9 and verse 13, and I had been seeking the Lord on some very special, very personal areas. And this this morning will be a little bit of a personal testimony, but I really want this not to be about me. I want this to be more about you. I want this to be about you, not about me. When I opened in Luke 9 and 13, these words came from the page to me. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, in the context of my quest and my uh, questions to the Lord, for several days, several days, and many of those mornings, nothing special happened. Uh, they were all good mornings, but there wasn't the same kind of visitation except the morning of the 18th. You give them something to eat. So this is the verse entirely. But he said to them, that is Jesus, to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. And we've heard so many different uh, presentations and messages from this passage, but uh, I'm going to return to it again this morning. The first 10 verses of chapter 9 in Luke's Gospel tells us about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples throughout the area of Galilee. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and to heal the sick. He gave them power and authority over demons, evil spirits, and sickness and disease. And he sent them out to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Verse 10 tells us that when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Very interesting the way this is phrased. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. We have reason to believe that Jesus would from time to time go to that very special place by himself, a time of solitude. But on this occasion now, he takes his disciples, the twelve, with him as he goes to a place of solitude called Bethsaida. Pat will show us a little. Bethsaida, the exact location of Bethsaida, has been questioned. There recently has been an archaeological dig which tells us about the location. Let's watch this. And this is at the north shoreline, the north end of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, there's reason to believe that this is the location, according to uh, the discoveries of archaeological digs in uh, recent years. Verse 11 says, But the crowds were aware of this, and they followed him, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And again, all of this is in the context of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a, is a manifestation of the authority of God, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over everything else. And this is authority over demons. This is authority over sickness and disease of all kinds. Manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking to all the people about the kingdom of heaven. It says, now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowds away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, find lodging, and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. There's nothing here to eat. Send them away. Now, here you have, here you have a collision of needs. 
On the one hand, there are physical needs. We all have these. They needed something to eat. They needed food to sustain their natural lives, as do we. But Jesus was talking to them about a greater need. He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. What marvelous words he spoke to them. Not only did he speak to them in words about the kingdom of heaven, he demonstrated the authority of the kingdom of heaven by, he, by his authority over everything else, including the natural laws. And the disciples want to interrupt this because the need of the people now, because the day is coming to a close, and the need of, for natural food and, and sustenance now is taking priority in their minds over the needs, spiritual needs they have. Then we come to this verse 13, which was so dramatically presented 35 years ago. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. Well, it's about to tell us in the text that there were about 5,000 people there, 5,000 people. Now, it's very, very interesting because Jesus is saying, you give them something to eat. And there are principles we find in the teachings of Jesus in these scriptures, principles. Talking about ministry now, talking about giving people what they need. And yet, it seems always that whenever the Lord commissions us to minister in his name, very often he tells us to do something that we can't do. It seems to be... It, it, it seems so perplexing to us. Lord, why would you ask me to do something that I can't do? Now, I had a certain understanding of this passage of Scripture as soon as it came to me, but I have a slightly different understanding has grown over the years. I thought back in 1987 that there was something that I had that the Lord wanted me to give, and that was right. But that was only part of it. Because the truth of the matter is that what I had, as important as it was, and as important as it would be in the time ahead, was insufficient. It was insufficient. And so Jesus is basically saying, you give them something to eat, but they're saying, we only have five loaves and two fish. Maybe we could go into a nearby place and buy food. Can you imagine buying food for 5,000 people? Well, this is basically something that well, maybe we, but not seriously taken. And so in the, in the principles of the kingdom of heaven, oftentimes there is the commanding of the impossible from a human standpoint. Now, it won't be impossible, but it will be impossible from just purely a human standpoint. Jesus, again, I've said this often, Jesus always said to the skeptics that you, the error that you have, the error you hold, is twofold. One is you don't understand the scriptures. I still believe, just as an aside, that there's a great deal in the scriptures that we don't understand even now. I think sometimes we have to be very humble about what it is that we think we really know. But Jesus said you don't understand the scriptures, and then he said you don't understand the power of God. Because basically, unless you make room for the power of God, then you will not understand anything about the kingdom of heaven. Because the power of God is essential. And he's saying to them, you give them something to eat, but there's the power of God will be essential here. And I would say the power of God is essential any time 
that we would do anything in the name of the Lord, no matter when and where, what the circumstance might be. Is there someone that you've wanted to witness to about the, concerning the gospel? Is there someone who comes to your heart and mind that you feel led to pray for and you have spoken to? Now, even when you have something, even when you have something that you know you should say to that person, that's still not enough. That's still not quite enough. Because the power of God has to be manifested in this in order for real, true ministry to be fulfilled and to occur. The power of God, the great skeptics, and I say great because in terms of the most famous skeptics in the last 2,000 years, have aired all those who are critic, write critically concerning the scriptures. They write critically about who authored this particular passage and when it was written and all of these different things. And the one error that follows all of them all the time is a refusal to believe and accept the power of God. I would say all the issues on evolution, the various issues and difficulties that we perceive with, the, with regard to the whole subject and concept of natural selection and the idea of unassisted evolution. We know that there is such a thing as evolution, but this idea of macroevolution. And all that has been written, all of the difficulties that many encounter on this is, a, is an inability or a refusal to understand the power of God, to make room for the power of God, can't understand the scriptures apart from it, and cannot minister according to the needs that people have without it. So I had a real sense of commission personally that came to me from that verse of scripture in 1987. The principle never changes here, the principle taught here never changes, and that's why I'm confident to say that this principle applies to you, not just me, but it applies to each and every one of us. When Jesus says, you give them something to eat, in other words, you do something here to, to uh, provide for the need that you see, then that's something that we quite often say, I cannot do that. I do not have what is needed to meet that need. So well, that's a terrible thing to have to say that. I don't. No, it's not. It's an entrance point. It's a wonderful place of entry into ministry. And so there are keys to the meeting of needs, no matter what the need might be. One is a commission to go ahead and meet it. I want you to go and I want you to say this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this in my name. I want you to represent me in front of this person, whatever the circumstance and they vary. But there's always a commission. I want you to do this in my name, the Lord would say. But whatever we have to use, whether it's a voice, whether it is our understanding, whatever we have, it could be something tangible, whatever it is. First of all, what we have to do is we must take that and we must place that into the hands of the Lord. First, this morning when I come to share with you this message, I have the message. I, I have a certain understanding of this message. I have held this now for several for a long time, for at least 35 years and more. It has been growing over that period of time. So I have things I can say. 
but I can't deliver this message to you without first bringing this message and placing it into the hands of Jesus. Now I have to wait to see what he does with it when I place it into his hands. How do you place it into his hands? You just, within your spirit, deep mind and heart, you surrender it to him and say, this needs to be done, I know, Lord, but I do not have the resources to do this as it needs to be done. I cannot, how can we feed all these people? We only have five loaves and two fish. We can't do this. How did they have the five loaves and two fish? What was the purpose of the five loaves and two fish? Probably to sustain themselves. We don't know exactly. So we have to give this into his hands and then watch what he does with it because then we wait for him to give it back to us. And we have to receive it from his hands into ours. This, is, this has to be the key to any and all ministry at any and all levels. Never think of yourself as not being a minister of the gospel because you are, if you're a believer. You are a minister of the gospel in your life, the way you live your life and how you conduct yourself, what you say, when you say. But all these things have to be surrendered to the hands of the master and then wait for him to do with it what he can only he can do and then wait for him to give it back into your hands. When he gives it back into your hands, then give it. Verse 14 of chapter 9 tells us, For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. Now, recently when I was reading this verse, I just started to uh, tense up a little bit inside because you know sometimes when you're being put on the spot a little bit, you know when, you're, when your obedience to the Lord requires you to do something that might, lay, might uh, make you look real foolish, you think. You know, we, we have these thoughts in our mind, and it's natural to have them. Well, what if I did that? What would that do? What would that look like? I won't go into detail on this, because it's a personal story my mother shared years ago about the time of prayer she had. She was a real prayer warrior, as we all know. And she... Uh, she was longing for the Lord to move in a powerful way in the hearts and lives of people right here on this island, including many within her own family. And she would do into prayer and fasting with regards to this great desire. Well, you say, where did that desire come from? Well, I believe the Lord placed that desire on her heart. Then one day there was a camp meeting that was occurring about that time. And then one day she sensed the Lord asked her to do a specific thing as she was making lunch for us. Because then in those days we would take, uh, make our lunch at home and take it up and, and they would spread a blanket. Mom would spread the blanket out on the grass and we'd all sit down and we'd have our lunch, which she made. And she made the best lunches in the world, as you know. <laughs> she made this lunch. While she was preparing this lunch, she sensed deep within her, in the place of prayer, something that she should do. She could not bring herself to do it. I won't even say what it was. She could not bring herself to do it. She lived with that thought for the rest of her life, wondering what would have happened if she would have done that. But she wrestled with it. And I understand that. We understand that. We wrestle with things all the time. And I'm not 
ever suggesting that we should throw away these uh, kind of governors we have in our lives because we would commit shipwreck if we threw all the governors away. Don't do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there comes a time there has to be a level of dialogue with the Lord Jesus Christ where our knowledge of what He wants us to do is greater than all those questions and so on that we have. For example, you've got 5,000 men and the disciples now, 12 of them, will begin to issue instructions for these men to divide up into groups of about 50 in each group and sit down on the grass in preparation for what? In preparation for to eat. We're going to serve a meal. How did those disciples feel? What thoughts went through their mind? In verse 15 it says, they did so. They did so. And they had them all set down. This is a key to this unfolding of this great manifestation of the power of God. Now, what does a group of 5,000 look like? I'll show you from a few years ago in the city of Winnipeg, a football stadium on Canada Day, there is a living flag. So why am I showing you this? Anybody? There you go. That's pretty it. That's about 5,000 people. And so you see the size of 5,000 people when they're all kind of together like that to show the Canadian flag, beautiful flag. You understand it, recognize it immediately. This is in the football stadium in Winnipeg, Manitoba, a couple of years ago on the 1st of July, Canada Day. That's about 5,000 people. Thank you, Pat. And so you can imagine then taking that group of people, that size, that number of people, and having them all, divide them all up into groups of 50 each. And you've done the math and you know you've got 100 groups of about 50 in each group. They did so. They did all that. It would take a little time to do that. Imagine all the thoughts going through their mind. What are we doing? The Lord told us to do this. The Master told us to do this. He said to give them something to eat. Now he's telling us to prepare them to receive. And we know how much food we have here. We have five loaves and two fish. And we don't have anywhere close to the amount that we need to feed 5,000 people. Not even close. It's an impossible task. And there's nothing we can do. We can't go into any place around here and buy food. We can't do that. It's the only thing we could think of to obey his command. But that's not going to work. Verse 16, then he, this is the Lord Jesus himself. This is what, these things must, these provisions, whatever we have, must be placed in his hands. This is absolute key, is to place them into his hands. Many times I have spoken in his name, and I have not consciously, deliberately placed what I'm about to say or do into his hands. It's not just a given, you know, it's something that must be done. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Uh, this is great visual. He looks up to heaven. He blessed them. He blessed those provisions. He, and this is the absolute key to the power of God is for the Lord Jesus himself to bless that which is placed in his hands. Does he do that now? Absolutely yes. Is he with his people today? Absolutely yes. 
Is he with us here now in this given moment, here in this place? Yes. Yes. Yes, he is. And so he took those loaves and fish. He looking up into heaven. He blessed them, prospered them. He broke them and kept giving them. This is an ongoing kind of perpetual present tense kind of verb. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Let me say it this way. When the disciples set these provisions before the people assembled in the groups, they were doing exactly what he had previously told them to do in verse 13. You give them something to eat. They were actually doing exactly what he had told them to do. But first of all, all this provision had to be placed in his hands. He had to bless it. He had to give it back to them, break it, give it back to them, which he did. And so they gave them something to eat. They had the something with them all the time. He didn't create the bread and fish out of nothing. They had the something there with them all the time. We have a lot with us all the time that is intended to be used in his kingdom. We already have it. But it's not enough. It's not sufficient. Not able to meet the need with it in its current circumstance. It must be placed into his hands in this way. But there's going to be there's going to be required obedience in this whole dynamic. He invariably will say, do this or do this other. I don't want you to do this. I want you whatever it is that he says do, must do. Remember Mary saying to the men who carried the water pots, the first miracle, whatever he says to you, she said, do it. Now the key is that when, th- when all these provisions, which oftentimes we already have, are placed into his hands, then he blesses them. And they have to, the key is they have to come from his hands to ours. Uh, even though we've had it with them, with us all along, it has to come from his hands to ours. Well, how can it come from his hands to ours if we already have it? Because we have to surrender it. And we surrender it, and then he blesses it, prospers it. If he doesn't prosper it, then that's, nothing's going to happen here. It's, you know, it's not the moment. The time is not right. When he prospers it, and gives it back into our hands, then we can give that out to the people in his name and the principle never changes. Verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces, and this is the part now that is very interesting. All of it's interesting. The broken pieces which they had left over were picked up. You remember how many baskets? Twelve. You could say one for each disciple. Twelve baskets were picked up. People already ate and said, oh my, that was delicious. And I've had enough. You, oh my, I've had enough. I've had plenty. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up now 12 baskets full. And you can't outgive the Lord. How many times have we said that? We've heard it sung. We've heard sermons preached on it. Teachings given on it. The truth is we cannot outgive the Lord. There's the blessings of obedience, which is another principle The blessings that come from obedience to the Lord, ministering in his name, are blessings in abundance that are absolutely marvelous. No one has ever spoken a word of encouragement 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, after they have surrendered it to him and he has given it back and they have given it now in his name. No one's ever done that without being encouraged themselves a hundred times over. Whenever you take a passage of scripture and you begin to, uh, he, he, he allows you to expose it, open it up to the understanding of his people, give it out in his name to his people, it comes back to you a hundred times over. Always like this. Every time it's like this. Every time it's like this. It's always like this. Every time and everything. And so I'll close this morning with Elijah the prophet. This is a very interesting experience in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning to read at verse 3. Elijah has already had the uh, great um, test of who really is God, whether it's Baal or whether it's Jehovah God. And the prophets of Baal have already been shown to be false. And he's had this great victory now. The rain has come. All these wonderful things have occurred. But now he comes into a very, very difficult and low place in his life, Elijah. Because when Jezebel, the queen, heard that he had put to death all these prophets of Baal, then she began to threaten him. And now he begins to experience fear. Elijah begins to experience fear. Fearless man. But he enters, enters into a period now of where he's bereft, where he's emptied. It's like a desert experience for Elijah. Verse 3 of chapter 19, 1 Kings, And he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, came to Beersheba, and that's down in the south. That's basically into the desert region. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He's already in the desert, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness from there. He's in deep wilderness desert. He came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now. O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Lord, it's enough now. Just take my life. I want to say one thing. He is not suicidal. He's not suicidal. This is not suicidal. He's saying, O oh Lord, take my life. In other words, I present my life into your hands, O oh Lord. Do with me according to your will and purposes. If the time has come and you have used me and I am, I am finished my journey, then Lord, take me and let me die. But I'm, he's not saying he's going to take his life. He's saying, Lord, you take my life. It's an act of commitment in desert time. It's commitment to the Lord. And this is needed now. We have a lot of folks who are going through some very difficult times. And we're going to see more of this as we move ahead in very serious ways throughout the earth, even in areas near to us. We're going to come through various desert times. We're going to come through times where we in the natural realm would fear. And we're going to come to a period of time where we would even rather go to be with the Lord than continue to live here. But one thing for sure and certain is we must 
commit our lives to the Lord, always into his keeping. This desire to depart is never suicidal for the believer, never ever even close to that. But it is, O Lord, take my life into your hands. It says he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree and behold, there was an angel, a messenger from heaven, a messenger from the Lord. There was an angel touching him and he said to him, arise and eat. See, this importance of eating, this importance of you give them something to eat because there is a food that we absolutely need. And all the folks around, everyone that you would have a desire in your heart, they need the food that comes from the Lord's hands. Not just our ideas, not just what we have in ourselves, you see. I'm going to repeat myself. So the angel said, arise and eat. And then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and he drank and he lay down again. He was exhausted. He was weary. He was just depleted. You see, he knew he did not have the resources in and of himself to do anything. That's good to be there. You don't want to live there. Don't stay there too long. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Do you like that? The journey is too great for you. Now, there is a food that the Lord provides, because the journey ahead for all of us is too great for us in our natural resources. We do not have what it takes to sustain us in this journey. When we receive the food that the Lord gives and he's blessed and prospered from heaven and he is placed into the hands of his servants around to give to us, when we eat that, then we are able to make the journey that is set before us. Because this journey that is ahead of him, guess how long it's going to take? It's going to take 40 days and 40 nights. So he arose and ate the, he, he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food. Here's the key. He went in the strength of that food, not in the strength of just ordinary natural food, but the food that came to him now from messenger of the Lord. He went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. You say, that's impossible. Human being can't even. You know, some, some have fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Very few. Some have. But he wasn't fasting, just fasting. He was traveling for 40 days and 40 nights on the strength of that food. This is the power of God. And Jesus said, your mistake is you don't understand the scriptures over here. And over here, you do not understand the power of God. Real ministry necessitates and requires the power of God. It does. It just does. Not just in the big name ministry throughout the earth, but in everything that you do in his name requires the power of God. So give them something to eat, Jesus said. Give them something to eat that you have surrendered to me. That I have blessed and returned from my hands to your hands. Give them that. Give them that.
We began this morning with I Then Shall Live. This is brought to us by Lifeway Worship. Their album is Spring 2011, New Anthem Releases. And we finish this morning, we conclude this morning with Freely Freely, brought to us by Maranatha Music. Their album is God's Country and Western. said, freely, freely, you have 